Part Two, Chapter Seventeen of How I Filmed the War by Jeffrey H. Mallins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seventeen, The Horrors of Trones Wood. I have just come from England after seeing the Somme film well on its way to the public. It has caused a great sensation. I really thought that some of the dead scenes would offend the British public, and yet why should they? It is only a very mild touch of what is happening day after day, week after week, on the bloody plains of France and Belgium. Bloody? Yes, inevitably so. There never was such dearly bought land since creation. The earth in the Somme district has been soaked with the blood of men. Sit out on a field a mile or two from our front line any morning early when the mist is just rising. Sit out there on the ground which our boys have fought for and won. The place reeks with the horrible stench of countless decaying bodies, and every minute adds to their number. But the British public did not object to these realistic scenes in the film. They realized that it was their duty to see for themselves. They had been told by the press, they had been told by Parliament, they had been told by lecturers what was happening, but to no purpose. They must be shown, they must see with their own eyes, and the kinematograph camera performed this service. Has it justified itself? I put that question to all who have seen the film. What effect did it have upon you? Did you realize till you saw it what this vast battle front was like? Did you realize what our army was doing, how our wonderful soldiers, your husbands, your sons, your brothers, were driving the Huns back, how they were going to their death with a laugh upon their faces and a cigarette between their lips, fighting and dying like true Britons? that those who came back wounded and broken still had that smile? Yes, the truth has at last dawned upon you. With that knowledge new resolutions were born within you, resolutions that bade you never to slack for an instant in your endeavor to bring success to our arms. Trones Wood. That name had been drummed into my ears for days. It seemed to have a fascination for me. I asked several men to describe the place. Quite impossible, sir. There ain't anything like it on earth, and if hell is at all like it, then I have been there. It's dead, just dead, 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 and the smell, awful. Is Fritz strafing there much? Yes, sir, he's at it all day. There's not room for a cat to hide in, so why Fritz is dropping his souvenirs there, heaven knows. I don't. From the description, the place seemed rather satisfactory from a scenic point of view, so I made up my mind to try and film it as I wanted scenes of heavy bombardment which I could get if Fritz was concentrating upon the wood. For the Hun is a tolerably safe person to deal with if he has a target to fire at. He is so methodical. Going up by my car as far as the top of Camoy Valley, I left it there near a dressing station. Strafing! I was out for strafing, and by all appearances I was likely to get it hot and strong before long. I had only just stopped when a shell came hurtling overhead, falling about one hundred and fifty yards behind the dressing station. I went over to a doctor who was tending some wounded men, our own and Germans. "'Has Fritz been sending you these souvenirs very often?' I inquired. The doctor rose, and mopping his forehead, grinned and replied, "'Yes, the blighter won't let us alone. Why doesn't he play cricket? He must know this is Red Cross. That sign there—' pointing to a large red cross lying on the ground, is large enough to be seen by the men in Mars. 
Only this morning he put one bang through the roof of our dugout, re-wounding a lot of our chaps lying there. By the way, are you leaving your car there? Yes, I replied. Well, you had better say good-bye to it. Several of our ambulances have been strafed there. Well, I said, can't be helped. It must take its chance. I'm going to take a few scenes of you at work. Where did these Bosch come from? This morning from Guillemont. Our boys had a bit of a stunt on and landed a few of the beggars. I filmed various incidents showing the treatment of wounded prisoners. They received the same careful attention as our own men. Whatever they asked for, they had. Several padres were kneeling down beside our boys, taking down messages to be sent to their relatives. Stretcher after stretcher, with its human freight of Britain and Hun, was deposited on the ground. Immediately doctors and orderlies were upon their knees tending to their wants with a gentleness that was wonderful. While I was there, several shells fell and exploded only a short distance away. I left the dressing station and paused upon a mound near a tree stump, the top of which had been carefully split off by shell-fire. I stood looking in the direction of Trones. The Bosch were strafing it pretty thoroughly. Away across at Montaubon village the same thing was happening. They were fairly watering the place with H.E. and shrapnel. Our guns were rattling out as well, and I am glad to say that it sounded to me as though ours were at least ten to their one. Well, the scenes had to be obtained. I admit the job looked anything but pleasant. Well, here goes, I said, and putting on a cigarette, I trudged off with my apparatus across the open, making a bee-line midway between Montaubon and Bernafay Wood. I gave both places a wide berth, thereby steering clear of possible Bosch shells. How hot it was! Perspiration was literally pouring from me. I kept on over the ground captured from the Germans. The smell in places was almost unbearable. I puffed away at my cigarette, thereby reducing the stench to a minimum. Several shells came whizzing overhead in the direction of the dressing station I had just left. With a grinding crash they exploded. Shrapnel, woolly bears, I said under my breath. They seemed to burst right on top of them, too. I thought of all those poor wounded Tommies lying helpless on their stretchers. Another, then another, came hurtling over. The splitting crash of the burst can only be appreciated by those who have been in close proximity to a German H.E. woolly bear exploding. It gives one a rather sickening sensation. Another came over. This time it burst nearer. Gee, they're dropping the range. I hastily grabbed my tripod and hurried off at a tangent. Proceeding for a distance of about five hundred yards, I turned off again and made tracks for my original point. In front, at a distance of about seven hundred yards, one of our forward field batteries of eighteen-pounders opened fire. I at first thought they were French seventy-five millimeters, owing to the extreme rapidity of fire. From my position I could not see the guns, but stretching across the country a rough line of brown earth was thrown up, which I afterwards found out was one of the old German lines. The guns were cunningly concealed in the trench. Thinking that it would make rather a good scene, I decided to film it in action. I may add that I have previously been rather wary about having much to do with forward artillery positions. On three previous occasions I have been badly strafed by Brother Fritz. He has the uncommonly irritating habit of putting his whiz-bangs much too near to be pleasant, with the result that I have more than once been compelled to take my camera and self off to the more congenial quarters of a dugout from which place, you will agree, one cannot obtain very interesting pictures.
Reaching the batteries, I unlimbered myself of my gear, and approaching the C.O. in charge, told him who I was and what I wanted. He was quite pleased to see me, and said that he was just about to give Fritz a good dose of iron rations, firing in salvos. Quickly fixing up my camera, I filmed the scenes from various points of view. The men were stripped to the waist, jumping out the shells as fast as they could be handled. While I was filming the scene, Brother Fritz replied with whiz-bangs thick and fast. They are perfect devils, and it is practically impossible to hear them coming until they burst. I turned my machine round upon the spot near which they were dropping. Several times they got within the range of my camera, and I continued to turn upon them until two came much too close. So thinking discretion the better part of valor, I hastily disappeared into the doubtful shelter of a broken-down Hun trench. Then they came over, several smothering me in dust as they exploded close by. Having obtained all the pictures I required, I thanked the C.O. and went on my way. My clothes were absolutely saturated with perspiration as I shambled away toward the top end of Bernafai Wood. I looked back at the battery. Bosch was still strafing. I vowed I would never go near any forward guns again, but good resolutions are made to be broken, and my lust for pictures is too strong within me. Moving was now difficult. The weight of my camera outfit seemed to be getting heavier. I could only get along at a very slow pace. The strap around my chest seemed to squeeze the very breath out of my lungs. But worse was to come. The Huns began shelling the section with shrapnel in a searching manner, and several times I collapsed into a shell-hole in the hope of obtaining a little cover. But there is very little shelter from shrapnel. On several occasions I felt like throwing away my steel helmet. The weight seemed abnormal but prudence warned me, and I clung to it. The fire was now too bad to proceed in the open. If there were any trenches or ditches, I availed myself of their protection. The heat in the trenches was terrific, and to add to the horrors of the stench and heat, there were millions of flies. Filthy brutes, they seemed to cling to one like leeches, and, my arms being full, I could not keep them off my face. Several times I almost decided to turn back, asking myself if it was worth while. But when I looked at Trone's wood in the distance and the heavy shells bursting all round, I gritted my teeth and decided to push on. Thinking that more smoke might help to keep off the flies, I lighted two cigarettes and puffed away at them, one in each corner of my mouth. I'm sure I must have looked a most extraordinary specimen of humanity at this moment. Loaded with kit, perspiring like a bull, my steel helmet cocked on one side of my head, puffing away like a chimney at two cigarettes and millions of flies buzzing all round me. Picture me if you can. I was proceeding like an automaton along the trench, when suddenly I came upon an officer who, I afterwards found out, was going up to fix his next gun positions. He was sitting on a sandbag swearing like Hades and trying to disperse the clouds of flies which were settling upon him. He looked up as I approached, then suddenly burst into a peal of laughter. I stood still and grinned, not daring to open my mouth to laugh for fear of losing my cigarettes. Then I dropped my tripod and leaned against the trench side to rest. His laughter suddenly developed into a coughing and spluttering, spitting and swearing, which in itself was strong enough to drive all the flies in existence away. Bust the things, he spluttered. I got a mouthful of them. They might have just come off some dirty bosch. Got a drink on you? Yes, I said, and handed him my water bottle. He rinsed out his mouth. 
i do believe it's worth risking shrapnel rather than tolerate these vile things he remarked but excuse my laughter you did look funny coming along there yes i expect i did i said still puffing away at my cigarettes i'd smoke a dozen at once if i could anything to keep the flies away well he said i'm stumped have you one to spare i handed him my case he lighted up and both of us puffing as hard as we could made quite a healthy volume of smoke from above it must have looked as if a small fire was raging we had sat there alternately puffing and chatting and killing flies by the hundreds for about ten minutes i told him i wanted to get some scenes of trones he politely told me i ought to have brought my keeper out with me but as he was going in that direction he would help me on the way to being killed by carrying my tripod we started off the shelling was getting unpleasantly near foot bang we both ducked my head getting a nasty knock against the tripod top for the moment i thought i had been struck by the whiz-bang presently we reached a junction in the trench and as my friend's road lay in an opposite direction we parted and i trudged on alone i was brought to a standstill by a mound of earth which completely blocked the way by all appearances the shell that had caused it could have only come over a few minutes before for a thin wisp of smoke was still curling up from the debris well i thought placing my kit on the ground it's got to be done so over i go here the air was completely free from flies evidently the gas from the bursting shell had choked them off for a time jove i was glad it was like heaven and my tongue was beginning to burn rather badly through fiercely smoking two cigarettes at once cautiously i crept up to the top of the parapet what a sight shells were falling thick and fast over trones and toward bazantin le grand i must film this boche or no boche so hastily fixing up my tripod i fastened on the camera and began exposing excellent i thought i've got it another shell came along this time it was evidently a five point nine and was right in the centre of my view about one hundred and fifty yards away another one rotten just out of my limits Foot, bang Foot, bang i grabbed my camera and fell with it on the opposite side of the mound i let it lie there and dashing back into the other section of trench grabbed my bags and returned whiz-bangs followed whiz-bangs in front and behind i crouched as low as possible and replacing the camera in its case hung it over my back and still bending low hurried away dragging my tripod behind me the trench was blocked by a batch of men returning they were crouching down for cover the officer in charge asked me what in the world i was doing thunder he said if i knew the movie man had been here i would have gone the other way you've evidently drawn fire by that contraption of yours where are you going to trones wood i said the look of blank amazement on his face was amusing my dear chap he said are you serious well i replied i had intended going there till a moment ago but the strafing seems to get worse shrapnel was now bursting overhead a piece hitting one of the men close by where's he hit inquired the officer the poor fellow was lying down in the shoulder sir one of the others shouted back seems rather bad two of you bring him through and get ahead to the dressing station as quickly as possible keep your heads down then turning to me the officer said look here i've just come from the wood and by god it's fair hell there the place is a charnel house it's literally choked with corpses heaps of them and we dare not bring them in we've tried even at night but the shelling prevents us 
the place reeks and the flies they're awful it's more than flesh and blood can stand to put your head up means certain death and well you see what your camera did here you can imagine what it would be like over there can't you yes i see but of course if i had known any men were about i wouldn't have put my machine up i know there is always the possibility of drawing fire it has happened quite a number of times to me if you respect your life don't go any further the shell fire is impossible and the sight over there is too ghastly for words so i decided to relinquish my visit for the time being a call was made to proceed half a minute i said the trench had been blown in about fifty yards down wouldn't it be better to clear it away rather than take these men over the top the officer decided that it was the men worked away with a will and quickly replaced the earth in the hollow of the trench wall from which it had been blown again we trudged on the flies were beginning to annoy us once more i put on a couple of cigarettes all the men had ransacked odds and ends from their pockets and the result was a line of men smoking as hard as they could and enveloped in a haze of bluish-white smoke but the flies refused to budge smoke had no effect on them and i'm inclined to think that nothing short of a five point nine would do the trick not until we were out in the open were we free from them on two further occasions i tried to enter trones wood and both times the conditions were if anything worse the merest sign of a camera put up over a parapet would have instantly brought a host of shells clattering round therefore on the third try i decided to abandon the trip until a later date but those attempts will always remain in my memory as a ghastly nightmare the essence of death and destruction and all that it means was horribly visible everywhere i have been there since i reached the place just before the final cleansing and brother fritz just to let us know that he existed and that he had a spite against us persisted in flinging his shrapnel around thereby keeping me well on the run he did not give me the slightest chance to get pictures nor to meditate on the surroundings in fact the only meditation i indulged in was to wonder whether the next shrapnel bullet would strike my helmet plumb on the top or glance off the rim then thinking of george graves remark i called fritz a nasty person with a few extra additions culled from the trench dictionary being a fine night i decided to stay in the vicinity an officer of a pioneer battalion kindly offered me a share of his dugout one of fritz's cast-offs i gladly accepted and over a cup or rather a tin of tea we exchanged views on various subjects about ten o'clock i went above to terra firma and watched the shells bursting over the german lines myriads of star shells or very lights shot high in the sky lighting up the whole countryside like day the sight was wonderful and silhouetted against the flashes i could see countless bodies of men tramping on their way like silent phantoms here and there i watched a shell burst i could see and hear that it had dropped into a section of those men adding to the number of that great army of heroes who had already gone west but into those gaps through which the blasting shells had torn their way stepped other men a sharp word of command was rapped out then on again to take up their battle position leaving the dead behind to be reverently buried on the morrow the wounded were brought away by the stretcher-bearers and as one lot passed me i heard a voice from the darkness murmur bill it's a blighty i wandered on in the direction of our line near a junction of by-roads i heard some funny remarks passed by ration parties trying to find the way to their sections 
to pick one's way in the dark over strange ground littered with debris is not an easy task the exact language i heard would hardly bear repeating one party had evidently bumped into another d blank and blank who are you quant your sea mate i'm taking up company rations blimey but ow the hell am i going to find the way blowed if i know do you know where blank company is i'm taking up sandbags lost me blank way have yer passed a dead orse i knowed i passed it coming up good night mate both men went off into the darkness swearing like troopers another man came up he was whistling a homely song but it came to an abrupt conclusion for he evidently stumbled over some obstacle compliments began to fly and he told the bosch in plain language what he thought of him for leaving it there his remarks were too pointed for expression in cold print the next to come along was an engineering officer he could faintly discern me in the darkness hello he said are you the blank no i replied i'm sorry i can't help you i haven't the least idea where they are what's wrong i have to run out some wires tonight, but bothered if i know where they are missed my way near the wood some silly ass sent me wrong well i said most of the troops i have seen have gone in that direction pointing the way he disappeared apparently he was held up a minute or two later by someone else for in the distance i heard a voice do you know where blank company is sir no i don't in a rather irritated tone i can't find my own blooming way this sort of thing went on for over an hour first one then another whether all of them eventually found their various points heaven only knows i had wandered so far owing to my interest in other people that i had some difficulty in retracing my steps to the dugout eventually i arrived there about one o'clock i had been given up for lost i told blank of my experiences that kind of thing happens practically every night they manage to find their way somehow come along let's turn in look out for your head as you crawl through don't mind the rats cover your head well up they won't touch your face then i crawled in onto my bed then i noticed a peculiar and decidedly unpleasant smell have you got any corpses here i asked him yes i believe so he said you see the other entrance has been blown in it's the other end of your bed and i believe some bush were buried in the debris never mind stick it they won't bite pleasant dreams i mumbled as i drew my blanket well around my face in a few minutes the presence of dead bosch ceased to trouble me i slept end of part two chapter seventeen